The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speaker. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice from your own physician. I'm Evan Johnson. I'm a physical therapist at Columbia University Medical Center and New York Presbyterian Hospital Spine Hospital. I teach within the program of physical therapy at Columbia University and have appointments to the departments of neurosurgery where I'm housed, anesthesiology and physical medicine and rehabilitation. I'm glad to be joined today by Dr. Rick Placide. Hi, my name is Rick Placide. I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon and I'm on faculty at the Medical College of Virginia in Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. Now, we've had the opportunity, Rick, mm -hmm. as members of the Interdisciplinary Spine Committee to present on regional topics. Mm -hmm. For instance, hip spine syndrome, upper quarter syndromes. How do other areas, neighboring areas to the spine, impact the spine? And this year we did something a little bit different in as much as we went not just to the neighboring joint, but we went regionally, even more regionally. And we looked at lower kinematics and the impact of lower kinematics on spine pain. Right. So I'm curious, in your practice and as a surgeon, when a patient comes to see you, what are the considerations you give to lower extremity kinematics and the impact on patient's spine pain? Right, so uh, the first consideration is you do have to recognize that it's a common problem. The patient will have a variety of symptoms or signs, not just from the spine. You know, working in a spine clinic, right, you expect to see spine-related patients, but there are a multitude of complaints, and they include the lower limb, um, from the hip all the way down to the foot and ankle. So a strong consideration is, first of all, just listening to the patient, really getting the story and ha let them tell you why they're in the office. And then it comes to doing a very detailed physical exam. You need to include, very often, a physical exam that includes the hip, the knee, the ankle, uh, gait evaluation, that type of thing, and then see how it affects the rest of the exam in the spine. So that's interesting. As a physical therapist, we're often tasked with treating patients with a multitude of problems, comorbidities, both medical and, mu and musculoskeletal. And one thing we look at often is the interaction between the lower extremity and the spine. For instance, even in terms of sagittal balance, mm -hmm. how does a decreased stoop trunk posture impact function at the knees? Or if we right. ask a patient to main a post maintain a posterior pelvic tilt, in the hope of decreasing their symptoms if they're stenotic or they have some other condition, then we have to give consideration to the fact that there's a good chance that they're now in knee flexion, right? Now impacts right. the amount of knee flexion, the extension. And there's some research that's been done recently that actually looks at not just hip spine syndrome, which has been going on since the 80s, some of the research, but looks at something they're calling knee spine syndrome. Right. Do you think you see that in clinical practice to an extent? I do. I do. And again, being in a surgical practice, we only take that so far. I do rely on folks like yourself, uh, trained physical therapists, to take it to the next level of evaluation and treatment. Um, but certainly even all the way down to the level of the foot and mm -hmm. ankle, how mm -hmm. the mechanics will affect the entire stream, particularly in a closed kinetic chain. So in a weight-bearing situation, if the foot and ankle do not have good stability or pathologic posture, that will transfer loads to the knee, to the hip, to the spine. Interesting. I, you know, we had a question in our presentation recently here at the NAS annual meeting, and the question came out regarding how do we see limitations in hip internal rotation impacting spine patients? And Guy Mellons, and before that, Ofersky and, and McNabb, McNabb had looked at hip internal rotation limitations and the impact on spinal pain. And one thought that came to me was, you know, it's not every patient with limited hip internal rotation clear that has a spine problem, but the patient who demands more hip internal rotation. For instance, the patient who has excessive forefoot varus and during gait, they require their gait and their 
their posture mm -hmm. requires more hip internal rotation to function. That patient becomes arthritic at the hip. Now they lack that hip internal rotation, and the consequence is they end up with more pelvic rotation, presumably on L5-S1, L4, L5, as they put more stress and demand upon those structures. Right. Any thoughts on that? So, certainly, and I do think there's a variety from patient to patient. Some folks have a better way of compensating, mm -hmm. and so it may take longer, or that may not be their issue. They may have the same physical characteristics, but not the same complaints. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it comes down to an individualized exam. That's interesting. And you came back to that again in that individualized exam and the physical exam itself. Mm -hmm. uh, any thoughts on that in terms of modern medicine, how we practice today, how we train residents? You're in a position to train mm -hmm. residents, as well as medical school students, right. I believe, yes. right? So in that position, what consideration do you give to that, and how do you deal with that, the importance of the mechanical exam and the physical exam, relative to the increased technology available and the lore of high-tech and high-definition images. and Right. So as we know, you could look at a CAT scan or an MRI scan, for example, and there are a multitude of findings that have mm -hmm. nothing to do with the patient's complaints. So unfortunately, if that's how you practice, you're led down that road of these potentially uh, putting the patient at risk for more studies or even procedures based on an imaging study that may not have anything to do with their complaints. So I really think we do have to step back and spend time doing a, a adequate history, listen to the patient without cutting them off. Mm -hmm. Hear the story in their words, mm -hmm. not the family member jumping in, oh, well, they, no, I want to hear it from the patient. Interesting. It and makes so much more difference. And then you need to do the exam. And I'm thinking about the exam and then the ancillary services. Mm -hmm. And how much does a multidisciplinary team impact? So for instance, if you need a diagnostic injection to differentiate between potentially a, an articular hip issue mm -hmm. or a soft tissue bursa or gluteus tendonitis right. and what could be a lumbar radiculopathy, you see a herniated disc at L5-S1 mm -hmm. and, and it's not clear. There's no weakness, there's no clear sensory mm -hmm. changes. So how much does being part of an interdisciplinary team affect your practice and, and help your practice? Well, tremendously, and that you bring up a very good point because many of these patients will not just have one problem. You, they may have hip arthritis, they may have a radiculopathy, they may have soft tissue issues. So first, the physical exam can then guide the ancillary testing. <clears throat> and then you have your interdisciplinary team, colleagues you call on, this is what I'm thinking, right? You have the therapist, you have the injection specialist. It's, tr it, you, it's tremendous, uh, uh, a tremendous help to have those folks so I guess the last question I would have for you or thought and comment would be as we move forward in a really changing healthcare system with advancing technologies, mm -hmm. with tremendous demands upon our time, and we practice in all kinds of environments, yeah. you know, what last thought would you have for the young surgeon who's coming up and, and coming up through a slightly different education than you came up through? in terms of thoroughness and, right. and, and seeing the body as a whole, seeing the human being as a whole as they provide treatment? I would have to say, step back, get the big picture. Mm -hmm. Don't rush too many judgments. Don't rush the patient in and out. I know it's easier said than done. Trust me, I know that. Uh, that's, that would be my recommendation. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, right. Dr. Placid.